Well, good morning. I am Mark. I'm the new guy. Uh, and uh, it occurred to me what a blessing it is to meet the Maggards today because in the last week, I have almost completely filled out my Grace Pastor punch card. Uh, I realized I have spent time with each of the staff members, all but one who doesn't live in the area anymore, but I have spent time with every single pastor that Grace has had now that I have, the, I have bingo now that I've met Mike and his wonderful wife this morning. What a privilege it is, even as, especially as the new guy, to have the chance this week that I had to spend with Dale Anderson, to have opportunities to get together, even with your interim, Jim West, uh, John Westerholm, this, patac- this particular week. But yeah, what a, what a gift of grace it is to be able to have that time. And this week, uh, I would appreciate your prayers. Matt Sees and I are actually traveling together over to Asheville, North Carolina for the District Normal Church Pastor Network. And you're thinking, how do Matt and I qualify as normal church pastors? But anyway, just... Just know it's, it's for guys like us, and we'll be traveling together, and we probably won't talk about you the whole way, but we're going uh, to have that chance to, uh, to spend that time to get to know each other a little better as well, too. Hey, we've been looking at the gospel, and we've been talking about the good news of Jesus Christ, and we have said that we, we live in a bad news, fake news world. We live in a world that seems overwhelmed with bad news and fake news. And one of the things I wanted to encourage you to do is look for examples of good news or what people think is good news, or even look for examples of the good news around us. We said that what you look to to solve the problem is often what you believe to be the good news. In other words, you meet people every single day that are living out some sort of gospel in their lives. They may not be followers of Christ, but they're living out some sort of news that they think is good. They think whatever is broken or missing in their lives will be fulfilled if they can just find the answer to their questions. Uh, We've often said the gospel is the answer to to the question of what's gone wrong in the world around us. What or who do we look for to, to, to fix that problem? And where is the hope that we have for the future? This uh, past Sunday night, I was watching 60 Minutes. And at the end of 60 Minutes, they had one of these good news stories that they wanted to share with everybody. And it was about a, uh, a man from Toledo. And I know what you're thinking. Can anything good come from Toledo, right? Well, anyway, he was from Toledo and he had made a tremendous amount of wealth himself. And he had decided that he was going to give a bulk of that away into these impoverished communities around the U.S. to pay for the entire college expenses of the students who were living in that, in that community. And you're thinking, I know, what zip codes are those so we can move there and we can receive? No, no, that wasn't the situation. The situation was he was going to give all of these financial resources to send all of these kids to college, paying for their tuition, their room and board, their books, their living expenses, everything for four years. And as I watched this being celebrated as really good news on 60 Minutes, my heart broke. It really did. I, I, I even turned to Amy and said, why am I so sad at this, point, at this point watching this story and listening to this unfold? It's because they think that if they can just provide enough financial resources and enough education, that's going to solve their biggest problem. That's the American gospel, isn't it? That's the American good news. 
if we just have enough money or enough education, that's going to solve all the brokenness around us. That's going to fix all the difficulties we have as a society. That's going to fix what's broken in the world around us. But that's not the good news. That's a news that a lot of people believe that they think is good, but it's not the good news. The good news of Jesus Christ is the only news that will truly solve the broken that exists in us and around us. And we celebrate that good news this morning. Now, I know fake news and and bad news are kind of harsh words, but I want us to look at a passage from Galatians chapter 1 this morning, where I think Paul uses some really harsh words to get his point across, and what he's trying to, to help them to see that any other good news, and I'm going to use the famous scare quotes for that, right? We love to use scare quotes around things. They say good news, so it's pretending to be good news, but it's really not good news at all. And Paul is talking to these churches in Galatia, and he wants them to see that any other what they think is good news, if it's not about the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's not good news at all. And he uses some very strong language to do that. So if you would look with me in Galatians chapter 1. Again, we're reminded that as Paul wrote these letters, this could have been one of the first ones, earliest letters that he wrote to the churches, and he was writing it to the believers there. He had been there on his first journey and helped to start a lot of the churches in this region and was now writing a letter back to them because he had gotten some news that they had drifted from the gospel. And you're going to see that early on. Again, in Galatians chapter 1, in verse 1, this letter is from Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. All the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to the churches of Galatia. May God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God, who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say again that we have what we have said before. If anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed." Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Now, I would love to explain to you the words that Paul is is using in this section, but my mom watches this live stream, and I don't want her to hear me using the words that he's using here. Uh, these, uh, These cursed words that he is using here, are kind of like the double hockey stick words. I mean, he's really laying it on thick here that anybody that would teach them a different gospel, double hockey sticks, 
for them and for anybody who would do that. For himself, for the angels, for anybody, right? We're not, we're not, he is not playing at all with the gospel here. It's the reason why he wrote. Uh, oftentimes in Paul's letters, we'll notice that there's an introduction and then this blessing. Well, here we have the introduction. There's no blessing present in this. He gets right to the point. Sometimes I think when we study Scripture, a good practice to have is to ask ourselves, what question is the passage answering? We know Paul's writing for a reason here. We know he's answering some question they might have. But it seems like in this, this section, the question is, what is the matter with you? What are you doing? How could you have so quickly abandoned the good news of the gospel? What in the world are you doing? This might sound like some of the conversations you've had with others as well, too, when you're questioning, I just can't believe how quickly you've abandoned the truth of the gospel. Now, we know, we know in this particular context, the context had to do with circumcision. It, it had to do with the, the, the Jewish practice in the law of the identification of the people of God with, with circumcision. And what was happening is that there were, there were Jewish Christians who were trying to teach the Gentile Christians. Now, Jewish Christians, they were the ones who were most familiar with the Old Testament and how it, what it was like to be a part of God's covenant. And, and they were the initial ones who responded to the good news of the gospel. But as the gospel progressed, it came to people who had no historic Jewish background. They weren't raised by Jewish grandmothers in Jewish homes. They weren't raised in families to know those sort of things. And what was going on was those Jewish Christians... We're coming to these new Gentile Christians and saying, that's great that you believe in Jesus, but you also need to live like a Jew as well too. It's not just enough that you put your faith in Christ. You also must live like our, our Jewish heritage as well too. It was like saying, well, it's not enough to believe in Jesus. It's Jesus and anything particular. And what was most damaging about it was they were proclaiming that this is what made you right in God's sight was not just your belief in Jesus, but your adherence to this Jewish practice. And that's why Paul was so angry. He actually spends the rest of this letter discussing this. Later on in Galatians 2, he said, Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. Just a few verses later in 2.21, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless, for if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. He even talks about examples from, Timothy, or from Titus's life through this, how even Titus wasn't convinced that he needed to be circumcised as well, that he needed to fall under this same practice. So this was the danger that they were dealing with. They were, they were being taught by some of the Jewish Christians who had come behind Paul and the apostles that it just wasn't enough to have faith in Christ. You needed to have faith in Christ and you needed to live like a Jew. It would be like me saying, it's not enough for you to be made right in God's sight by believing in Christ. You must also believe in Christ and listen to Southern gospel music. Who doesn't love Southern gospel music? Am I right? Very quiet in here. Anyway, but 
that to say that you must adhere to this particular historical practice or group, it, it was it was saying it's not that you shouldn't enjoy that, and I don't know if you enjoy that or not, but it, it was saying that that's not my, what makes you right with God. That's not rest- what restores your relationship with Him. These practices aren't what make you right in God's sight. It's only by faith in Christ. In Christ alone, through faith alone. That is the overwhelming message of this letter to the Galatians. And it's also a very critical message for us as well too. Again, we live in a world of bad news and fake news. We live in a world where people believe all sorts of gospels that are not really gospels at all. And for you and I, as followers of Christ, if you're a follower of Christ here this morning, you and I need to be able to talk about the good news, not just a good news. You and I need to be able to communicate passages like this to our friends and neighbors and to those we come in contact with so they too can hear and know the good news, what it is that makes them right with God. And it's not about our religious practices or the music we enjoy or the way that we dress. It is about faith in Christ alone, in the person and work of Jesus Christ that makes us right with God to be able to stand before him. And that is the theme of this this letter, Galatians. But I want us to back up, and I want us to look at what seems like just part of the introduction. In the introduction, in verses 3 and 4 and 5, I think we're going to see a beautiful picture of the gospel. And as we look at that, I want you to think about, how am I going to be able to communicate this to the people around me? How am I going to be able to share with the people around me the good news of verses 3, 4, and 5? I'm not asking you to communicate to them tomorrow morning the entire letter of Galatians. But just thinking about how could I communicate to the people around me verses 3, 4, and 5 in a way to help them see that any other good news is not good news at all. No other good news, first and foremost, if you want to look at the outline on the back, is divinely initiated. There is no other good news that is divinely initiated. If you look at the way our our verses unfold, we have this beautiful picture of may God, the Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. On down in verse 4, he tells us, just as God our Father planned. You know, no other philosophical religious system is one where God initiates. Every other system in the world is designed for you and I to try to to come to God on our own, denying ourselves, making ourselves holy, doing whatever we can to be right in God's sight. But in these opening verses, he gives us a picture of not just his initiation, but also both the root and the fruit of the gospel. That that phrase, grace and peace, is a reminder to the believers. The the idea of grace would have been a very Greek term for them. The the peace would have invoked the idea of shalom to to the Jewish believer, that they would see not only what it is that God gives us in his grace, the root of the gospel, but also what that grace brings into our lives, and that is a sort of peace 
and wholeness and shalom that he is talking about. These are initiated gifts of God that he has given to us. May God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. You know, we were talking this morning at the 9.30 hour about the holiness of God. And the holiness of God is horribly bad news for us when we understand how sinfully broken we are. When we understand if we have to initiate our being made right in God's sight, when we see the holiness of God, that is horribly bad news for us. But the good news of this initiating God is that he reached down to us. He reached to us to care for us, to provide the gospel for us, to initiate with us, because you and I had no way to do it on our own. He divinely initiated it. Secondly, besides his divine initiation, I want you to see that this gospel, there's no other gospel that provides real restitution. There is no other gospel, there is no other good news that provides the sort of real restitution that the one true gospel provides for us. I I, I wrestled with the word restitution because it seems like the language that we get here is familiar to us in the idea of a substitute and a sacrifice. Uh, that's, that's some of the language that we find here in verses 3 and 4, that uh, for Jesus gave his life for our sins, that, that he, he substitutionary uh, gave his life as a sacrifice on our behalf there in 4. And, and we often think of that in how he reconciles us to himself, but, but realizing what that substitutionary sacrifice did was it made restitution for us. It, it paid the, the penalty to restore us to our original state. It, it, it paid our sin debt in such a way that we could be restored right back to the right relationship with God that we had in the garden at the beginning. It, it, it paid a, rest, a restitution for us to not just forgive our sins in Christ, but to also give us new life and take us to, to the end. It's, it's like saying it's, it's not like the forgiveness of sin just took us back to the starting line. The forgiveness of sin and God paying our restitution for us in Christ moved us to the finish line. Uh, in, the, in the book that I back, I've, I've mentioned a couple times about uh, Before You Share Your Faith by Matt Smethurst. He, he does a nice job of explaining it this way. It's, it's almost like if you had a losing record, if you were a basketball team and you were 0 for 10 or 0 for 20 or 0 for 30, it's not like Jesus' sacrifice just brought you back to 0-0. Zero, zero. It's not like it just brought you back to, to level ground. No, his sacrifice of restitution for you took you from a perfect losing record to a perfect record. You are now 10-0, and 20-0, 100-0, not because of anything that you have done, but because of what Christ has done on your behalf. The life he lived and the death he died paid the perfect restitution for you to restore you to the place that God created you to be. He restored you back to that spot because of the real restitution that this gospel provides for you. There's no other gospel that provides that. There's no other news that provides this kind of good news that says 
It's what Christ has done for us that not just removes our sins, but restores us to a place of wholeness before God that we are now made right in His sight. That we are now restored to the place that He has called us to be. That's the picture here of Him giving His life for our sins And again, reminding us, even if you were with us last week when we looked at Ephesians chapter 1, just as God our Father planned. Again, speaking to the initiation of this good news. So so there's no no other good news that's divinely initiated. There's just not. There's no other good news that provides real restitution. And there's also no other good news that really rescues Even the use of Paul's language there of it rescues us from this evil world in which we live. You know, people who are being rescued have no other options. I don't know if you've ever thought about that before, but people who are being rescued don't have other options. It's not like they got a fallback plan somewhere else. It's not like they've got uh, some secondary things that they can work through. If you are being rescued, it's because you have no other options options. It's really rainy. (laughs) Makes me think of the joke, right? It's not funny when we think about what our church families are going through in eastern Kentucky, but you've probably heard it too, right? About the man in the flood who prayed for God to deliver him and boat came by and said, would you you like a ride? And the man said, no, God's going to deliver me. Water got higher, helicopter comes, sir, we've come to take you out. He goes, no, I'm all right. God's going to take care of me. Many of sundry things happen, but the reality is he gets to heaven and says, what happened? Well, I sent, you know, boats and helicopters and everything for you. I, I gave you ways. And, and the reality is that when rescue comes to our lives, it's because of the realization that we so desperately need it. You know, this is fundamentally what it means to come to Christ is to recognize our need, to see that we cannot do anything for ourselves, that we must look to him for complete and total rescue for our sins and for what we have done and for all that we need, that he is the only one that can save us. Again, I so appreciate the way our Chris and our worship team puts together our worship for us. Because as we've said early on, that the the picture of the good news is what God has done. The the sinfulness of man, the necessity of Jesus to fix that brokenness and the hope that we have. And even just looking at the way our, look at the front of your bulletin. The way what we have gathered this morning, the celebration of who God is by singing our God and looking at Psalm 97. The recognition of our desperate need, our need for rescue In the songs that we sang, sing to Jesus, come ye sinners poor and needy. Boy, that is not a top hit song that people want to sing. Come ye sinners poor and needy. But it reminds us the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ is we desperately needed rescue. And the rescue that we need is fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's why it's good news. And that's why there's no other good news that's really that good. We are in desperate need of rescue. And Jesus is the one who rescues us. As his word said, he gave his life for our sins in order to rescue us from this evil world.
You know, one of my favorite quotes, it gets misattributed to different people at different times, but it's that reminder that the only thing you and I bring to salvation is the sin that made it necessary. The only thing you and I bring to this whole equation is the sin and the brokenness that makes it necessary to be rescued by a loving and holy God who, through His Son, has initiated both grace and peace into our lives, the root and the fruit of the gospel. This is really good news. But we have to recognize that we need rescue. So this good news, there's no other good news like this. It's divinely initiated. It it provides real restitution. It, It really rescues. And fourthly, I want us to see, though, that when it comes to this good news, this is the only good news, this is it, that restores right worship. This is the only one that corrects our false worship and restores it to the place that it should be. See, when when I'm worshiping the American gospel, and I believe I just need more financial resources or a better education, that is what I worship. I worship the attainment of my stuff. Uh, I, I worship the attainment of my academic degrees. I worship the schools that I might attend and the degrees that I might earn. In itself, those things aren't bad, but when we worship those as God, those make lousy gods. If you are here this morning, you have realized technology makes a lousy god. It cannot be depended on. There are many who look to technology in the world that we live in as the answer to everything that's broken. All we need is better tech, a new app, a better program, a newer phone, and all of the brokenness around us will be solved. Now, real worship is restored when we see that it is God through Christ who has given us this good news of reconciliation. Look at the, the last line. It's, it's almost like in this introduction, as Paul is describing what God has done through Christ, he just naturally responds in praise. He just breaks out in worship himself, as if he responds, all glory to God forever and ever, amen. As if he is even so moved by the words that he is writing about the glory of God and the beauty of Christ and the rescue that takes place, that he himself is moved to worship. See, that's what the good news does. The true good news of Jesus Christ moves us and motivates us to worship. It is the only right response that we have to it. It's the only thing that we can again bring to it is our act of worship in thanking God for all that he has done for us through Christ. There's nothing you and I bring to it. There's no sort of self-righteousness that we can depend on. All that stuff is just garbage. As even Paul said in another letter to the church at Philippi. This is the only good news. There's a lot of people who believe a lot of scare quote good newses. But this is the only one that is really good news. Divinely initiated provides real reconciliation, really, really pays the price that was due. It's the only one that really rescues us. It doesn't depend on us for some sort of self-righteousness or or self-atonement. And this is the only one that corrects our false worship. This is the only one that keeps us from worshiping ourselves and one another and the world around us in creation. 
This is the one that rightly corrects us in our worship, that we worship the one true and only God who is the giver of this good news. So, again, I'm sure at this point I'm starting to sound like a broken record as we keep talking about this good news week after week. But I again, I want to encourage you this week to start your day with good news. There's a choice that you make every single morning. The first thing that you're going to do is whether you're going to start today with good news, bad news, or fake news. And again, this week, I want to encourage you to start it with good news. And here's what I want you to do. Next Sunday morning, Lord willing, and the creek doesn't rise as the rain comes down, right? I plan on talking about Romans chapter 6. So this week, if you started tomorrow morning and read Romans chapter 1 on Monday, follow me here, it's really complicated. You do Romans chapter 2 on Tuesday, are you with me? Romans 3 on Wednesday, guess what? By the time you get to Saturday, you're going to get to Romans 6, and then we're going to come and we're going to talk about it together on Sunday morning. But if you don't have something that you're already doing, to be reminded of good news every single day, first and foremost. Read along with me this week in Romans. We'll just read a chapter a day and we'll think about the good news. I've got to warn you, Romans is a beautiful picture of the good news, but it also reminds us of our desperate need as well too. You're going to run into some bad news in that good news, but it is going to show us how desperately we need rescue. So read along with me this week. That's one of the things I would ask you to do is read along with me, start your day with good news, not the bad news, fake news, start your day with good news. I know the temptation of picking up your phone or your device the first thing in the morning and starting the doom scrolling of all of the bad stuff that's happened since the last time you picked up your phone or your device. But please, just for this week, give it a shot. Start this week with good news the good news, and read those first six chapters of Romans with me. And I also want you to keep looking and listening for these. In the movies that you watch, in the songs that you hear, in the conversations that you have, listen for what is this person, what is this singer, what is this movie trying to tell us is a good news? And then how do I understand this good news in light of that? I think these, these three, four, five, verses three, four, five, provide a wonderful template for you and I to keep in our heads to say, no, is it, is it expecting me to initiate or is this what God has done through Christ in his grace and peace? Is this good news that this person is believing? Does it really, does it really bring about the kind of restoration, uh, the kind of restitution they hope it will? Or is it going to leave them just as empty at the end as it does at the beginning? Is this the kind of good news that really rescues or just tries to make the best out of a bad situation? And is this the kind of good news that's going to correct my broken worship? A lot of good news, a lot of bad news, fake news, just has us worshiping ourselves and others and things. Only the good news corrects our worship and helps us worship God. And then... Uh, lastly, again, as, as you didn't know, there'd be homework, right? And lastly, again, and, and we heard this at the 9.30 hour this morning, and it was beautiful. It was beautiful to hear one another think back about how God had been working in their lives. 
whether it was from the time he first drew them to himself or, or, or recently, but there were several moments during our 9.30 hour this morning, just like Chris said, where we were reminded of the good news of how God has been working in our lives. And I, again, I, we would benefit so greatly by spending an hour this week and just reflecting, how has God been at work in my life? Write that stuff down. Think about it. One of the prompts I thought about this week was uh, the question as, can, can you name the, this is going to hurt real bad, but I, I know it's true. Can you name the last three sermons that God used in your life to draw you to himself? Or can you name three people that God used in your life to draw him to yourself? I heard a lot of sermons. Most of my own, unfortunately. But I got to tell you, I'd have a hard time coming up with three sermons that transformed my life. But I could probably come up with 30 people, and I could promise you, you haven't heard of any of them. So take time and think about how God has been at work in your life. The people that he has used, the situations, the way he's worked through circumstances, and write that stuff down. That's stuff that we want to keep in front of us personally, and we want to share as a body of Christ. We want to share as a family those things together. We were all built up and encouraged and reminded of that, just even in our time this morning at 9.30. So, so again, so start your day with good news. Read Romans with me this week. Keep watching and listening for these good news, bad news, fake news stories. Think about how these verses speak to that good news. Think about if somebody were to ask you tomorrow morning, what's the good news of Jesus Christ? Would you be able to tell them? Would you be able to answer that? Would you be able to talk about how, well, this news is it's from God. It's, it's different. This news really fixes what's broken in our lives. It's different. This good news really rescues us. It's, it's different. This news fixes worship on who it's supposed to be. It's, it's really different. Would you be able to explain that? I, I would encourage you that we, that's how we want to prepare. We want to prepare daily to be reminded of the good news, that we might share the good news with other believers as well as other not yet believers. We want this to be so common in our language that we live in a world where you and I are called by God to bring the good news into any and every situation. And with that, I just want to pray that God would help us to be mindful, to listen for the gospel, to be in that good news every day, and he would help us to do this. Let's pray together. God, we thank you. We thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ. We thank you that it was your divine initiative that reached out to us in our brokenness, in our rebellion, in our ugliness, in our sinfulness, with no hope and no options. God, and your word says you loved us so much you rescued us. You rescued us by sending Jesus to not only die in our place, but to live the life we could not have lived. And he transferred that holy life to us. That righteousness, that perfect life, that perfect, undefeated, sinless life was transferred to us through what Christ has done. God, I pray that our only response to you would be one of gratitude and worship and that we would be motivated to turn 
turn from our sin, to trust you completely and to treasure you in worship. God, help us this week. Help us to be people of the good news, people of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that it, that it totally informs and saturates the way that we think so that we can hear it in the stories and in the words around us and we can recognize the, the bad news and fake news. And God, through your spirit, we pray that we would, we would be able to lovingly to share that good news in those bad news, fake news situations. God, thank you. Thank you for your word. And thank you for the good news gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen.